It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. The State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports. Your boy, the Brian Campbell, penetrating those ear holes with the one and only untraceable, unmistakable performance-enhancing audio. It's mixed martial arts time. The fallout from UFC 248 and so much more. A look ahead this weekend to... Got a good card in Bellator in my, in my backyard of CT coming up. We've also got UFC Brasilia with a must, must, must see lightweight duel atop the damn card. Oh, does it end there? No, because this is what the SOC gives you. Big time interviews from this weekend's Dominance MMA media event. Ali Abdelaziz rolling out his army. We've got chats on this show today. With UFC lightweight champion Habib Nurmagomedov, welterweight King Kamaru Usman, and that violent gentleman known as Justin Gagey, just Dustin Gage, Justin Gaethje, however you want to pronounce that. They're on the show this week. You know who else is on the show this week? The full team. The boys are back in town. And of course, that begins with Earthquake Survivor, UFC Hall of Famer. He's always sweet and never sour. It's the great. Sugar, Rashad Evans. Bro. What's going on, my brother? How, how are is you it? doing, BC? You're a world traveler. You, you, all yeah, good? We good uh, here? Everything is good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm um, back in Florida for a little bit, so uh, everything's great. All right. Also joining the pod, number 65 in your scorebook, but number one in your hearts, former uh, North Boca High All-State left tackle, Brandon Wise. Wise man, where you been all our lives on this show? What are you talking about? I was here with you at 3 a.m. last week talking about UFC yeah, 248. It's hilarious. Hey, hey, it's like it never way, happened. It, it's Johnny Walker fight week, guys. <laughs> Let's get exciting. All right. All right, all right, all right we'll deal with that. Um, lots to talk about. I wanted to kind of start off first, though. I mean, look, like you can't avoid it. This this coronavirus thing is taking over. I know in uh, I was talking about this on the boxing show this week as well. It's uh, canceling all high school sports tournaments in my state. It's. We're already seeing empty stadiums for soccer in Italy. Rashad, where do you think this goes on a combat sports level in this here United States? Could we be entering a couple months where where we have some empty arena matches? What do you what are you thinking right now on this? It's getting pretty hairy. It is. I think that if we uh you know go into some states where, you know, it's definitely the quarantine states like California, you know, I know there's been some events already canceled there in California, then I project that, that you know, they pretty much set the standard of what the nation will follow. So um, there's a panic going on about the, the, the coronavirus right now. And uh, that panic is, is going to 
is going to shut down a lot of things. Hopefully, it gets under control before things get too crazy. But uh, man, it, I already force. I already see the panic set in. Like I go to the grocery stores and there's no water, so people are already starting to get into that that mindset where they need to uh, start to stock food just in case they might be quarantined for a while. Yeah, good luck finding toilet paper. All right, Brandon. Oh, I'm, it's impossible. Brandon, I'm never shaking hands with you again after this virus goes away. All right, never, never. All right. After it goes away, that would mean that it should be clear to shake hands again. Not after, well, not after what happens when you run out of the uh, TP, there, bro. All right, don't, don't, you know, don't boo me on that one. Are you guys booing me? No, 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 no. You, you better not boo me. By the way, did you see speaking of Al Iaquinta? Did you see that? Um, speaking of Al Iaquinta, I don't know if we talked about this. Did you guys see that submission underground match he had with uh, with the maniac Mike Perry and Perry smoking cigarettes, Ricardo Mayorga style during the weigh-in? What the hell's going on? You guys see that? Yeah, yeah, I see that. It was pretty interesting. Uh, I was surprised at how good, um, how, how good, uh, uh, buddy looked, man. He looked, he looked good. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Perry? Huh? Perry or Iaquinta? Perry, Perry, Perry. Mike Perry, he looked good. I was really surprised about that. Rashad, do you have any comments on him being 2% black and being around, being allowed to drop the N word? I mean, this, oh this might be a, uh, it is, it's, uh, <laughs> that sounds, uh, that sums it, it up perfectly. Yeah, it's, yeah, that, that's that's a heavy bag to unpack right there. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, all right, we're going to get into the show after a quick pause for the cause from a word from our friends and sponsors on the other side. Big time analysis and interviews coming your way from the SOC. And we're back. BCB dubs the great sugar Rashad Evans coming at you. Big time interviews to come with Habib and much more. Fellas, though, we're fresh off of UFC 248. Why don't we start up the five rounds machine and break down the big headlines here? Uh, round one, of course, is that UFC 248 main event. Israel Adesanya defends his world title in his first defense of the middleweight crown in a very heavily booed decision over Yoel Romero. Rashad, the people heard my and Brandon's immediate thoughts on this. The people want to hear it from you, though. Days removed. Give me a percentage of the blame. Give me a breakdown of whether that fight was rightfully booed, of whose fault it is. Are we going a little bit too far in a in a technical sort of passive point fight to be this this sort of uh, critical of? What were your thoughts on how that bout, which I predicted would be the fight of the year, ultimately played out? Um, disappointing for the most part, but, um, you know, that happens sometimes. And, and, and the reason why I say that is because, um, you know, with what, what I seen happening was I seen that, uh, Ariel, Israel tried to get into his, his groove, get into his movement. And right when he was trying to get into his movement, he felt that power of Romero and that just completely changed his whole idea of attack or when it was safe to attack or just this whole process on on approaching a fight and for Romero you know he's he's a counter striker to to a fault to the point where he won't open up most of the time unless he sees the other guy opening up and that's when he'll start to go for it you know he'll just pretty much wait into a shell so you know it, it it always takes two bad partners to have a bad fight you know and, and it's something unfortunately that happens but um i i think totally it was just that you know israel is uh you know he felt that power and 
And after that, he was like, all right, I need to approach this pretty smart. And Romero is so, so strong physically. He has, and, and his defense is, is pretty impenetrable. So it just made a really boring fight. It really did. And, and, you know, I've sort of split the blame. You got people on the other side, Dana White going a hundred percent Yoel. I mean, I think you nailed the core of this that he got, Adesanya got disciplined in the first round by that big left hand that caught him on the eye. We can sit here and rightfully uh, lament that Romero never followed up on any advantage he had. Anytime he landed a shot, except for maybe that running three-punch flurry he had in round two, you know, he certainly deserves not to have won that fight for being so defensive and so passive and so sort of, I'm only going to throw if you throw at me first. I'll give Adesanya credit for figuring out a way to win, making those adjustments at that time. But Rashad, you're in that, when you're put in that decision, that that, that situation by Romero, where it's like, you're either going to have to be a hero and walk me down and finish me, or you're going to have to win cheap, maybe get criticized for it, and oh, by the way, have a chance that the judges might see it differently and screw you. How do you judge the decision that Adesanya made in that spot. Because, look, if it's Chuck Liddell, he's walking into traffic. He's going to try to get him out of there. But there's a business side to this. There's a survive and advance side to this. It's not the first time a champion has had a fight that didn't play out entertainingly and moved on and knocked the next guy out. Do you think we should praise Israel or or, or get on him for basically finding a way out to win that fight? No, I think that he made a smart choice. You know, I thought I thought that he, you know, he found the best way to win, and he he found a way to actually score and to get you know land some damage on a pretty much you know uh, stoic, impenetrable force in in Yoel Romero. You know, those leg kicks were something that was able to put a little bit of chinker in the arm, chink in the arm, and and make Romero seem uh, Yoel seem a little bit uncomfortable. But it just we just didn't see anything that landed up top or anything substantial that that landed by any of the fighters apart from that big overhand left in the first round by Yoel to Israel. But I think that with Israel, um, you know, this is part of his journey to be what he said he wants to be, to be that to be that legend in the sport. You know, you're going to have fights like this. You're going to have to, you know, work through the criticism of having a bad performance or not having a performance that everybody thinks that you should have. But you know, it was not the performance that he he we wanted to see, but it was a performance that he needed to have. And going against a guy like Romero, uh, and and coming out, um, with 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 the W, is 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 a blessing because Romero, honestly speaking, you know he he's been the uncrowned champion for a while in his weight class. You know he's just been he he he's been up there. You know he hasn't been crowned a champion, but you know. In every single one of his fights to fight for the belt, you it, it could have went either way. You know, he could have just been as well, you know, won that belt two times in a row against um, against Rob Whitaker. So I think that you have to give some credit to Israel, but at the same time, you do want to see your champion go in there and just risk it all and execute. Can I at least get you guys to agree with me now in hindsight about last year's decision for both of you to say that Israel was the fighter of the year based on how he looked against Anderson Silva and then his next two fights. But to me, the Anderson Silva fight was this fight all over again where he felt tentative. He felt like he didn't see his openings. So he just was like, I'm not going to risk getting hurt and I'm not going to risk getting knocked out. So I'm just going to play it safe and go with the leg kicks and just win the fight that way. 
no, I, no, I, no, no, because he he was the fighter of the year last year, and what he did last year <laughs> was impressive. What he did last year has nothing to do with what happened in his last fight. They're just totally, totally different. You know, I I, I do see this fight as um. You know, it, it's it's a bit of something in his learning curve. You know, he he's very confident in his stand up, and to experience what he felt in Romero is something that he never felt before. And and when you feel somebody that strong with that much power, it better give you pause. You know, it better make you sit back and like, yo, this dude has the ability to finish me with one shot. And and when you're hitting somebody and you're hitting them with your best stuff, and they're looking at you still walking forward, imagine what that does to your mind. That's like a bad dream. You know, and that's and that's what it's like fighting Romero. He just keeps on coming forward and you're cracking him and you're trying to get him with 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 all kinds of shots. And then he just kind of does his his movement and acts like he's unfazed and still walking you down. That's some scary stuff right there, man. That's scary. It is. It is. Uh, I certainly didn't love this performance from Israel. I, I don't think it's wrong, though, to to play the side of, well, he made the smart move. He He basically saw a guy in front of him who wasn't trying to win. So he could, so he could beat him. I just think he gambled too much in doing that. I would have liked to see a little bit more of a middle ground where he was more willing to try stuff offensively to leave no doubt. I, I compared it to what John Jones did against, against, uh, against Maheta, where essentially by not walking him down or, or taking him down, you're gambling that the judges could have got you. And he ended up winning a split decision. Look, I had this fight for Romero. And when Romero tweets out one, two, five, Hashtag people's champ. While I could say that he doesn't have an argument to say I got robbed at the same time, I scored all three of those rounds for him. So I think Adesanya in the end took that unnecessary gamble, even yeah. though the judges got him in the be- in the end. They got what he was doing. They they heard Jimmy, so to speak. They penalized Romero for not doing enough. I still just didn't like the gamble. But no, that does nothing to last year, Brandon. He showed you three different sides of himself. In those right. three fights last year, okay? He showed the full package. Where else are you going to get that package, Brandon? Okay, so I'm just saying, let's let's create this hypothetical again, right? Similar to last year. By the way, the two guys that we're talking about that he couldn't finish in these fights, combined age of 86 years old. I'm just saying. Anyway, if he fights Paulo Acosta and it's another fight of the year war or whatever, and then takes on somebody like your boy Darren Till, B.C., and knocks him out. Are you going to then make this argument again that he was the fighter of the year? Even no. though you're telling me right now you didn't <clears throat> score the four, is he? Look, today? I thought the performance against Anderson Silva was uh, was a uh, he gets a lot more respect in my mind. Silva came to fight and showed him a lot of things he didn't think he'd see, and he had to adjust to it. And I think he was much more offensive in that fight than he was this time around. Uh, look, I, no. again, I don't think this is a highlight on his career. I no. can give him certain credits, but I think, you but, know, this doesn't make him a front runner for this year's fighter of the year. And so, no, no, not by any means. But what it did for me, is it made me get more of an appreciation and uh, more respect for just Robert, uh, Robert Whitaker's whole game, you know. And when you just success the two performances between uh, him and Israel, you see where he had successes and where Israel you know, uh, didn't. And, and what I seen, you know, the contrast different differences is just, it seemed as if like Robert Whitaker attacked more up the middle with more front kicks because Romero's more square and being able to, the fact that he attacked more up the middle, it put more of, um, of, uh, Yoel on the defensive and it made him have to block too much. But Israel was going with a lot of side, a lot of, uh, you know, kicks to the side of the thigh 
and it was allowing Romero to just spring forward into whatever um, Israel was throwing. So Israel never felt comfortable because he didn't establish that middle ground like you seen Robert, Robert Whitaker did. So that's what I've seen the two difference in the styles between Robert Whitaker and Israel. But you would have thought that Israel would have had that straight down the middle game plan being the fact that he's so long and being the fact that he's trying to keep that range and the fact that Romero is so square in general. Rashad, how did you score it just for the just for the record? I, I had I had Israel winning the fight, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't by much, you know. It was it was just, you know, um it was just because I felt, you know, he was he was landing more combinations. It looked like he was trying to create more opportunities to win the fight. That's but, why I, that's why we I do him. score it on a round by round. So it's like no, I didn't think Romero had the better performance. I just thought he won more rounds in the end. Uh, you know, certainly two was a debatable round. Five, I thought Romero was coming on. I don't think a single judge gave Romero round five. I thought he was the one pressing the action and landing the big shots. Brando, how did you end up scoring that one? Uh, this fight, I gave it to, to Izzy just based on activity because, again, it was just, to me, like you, we were arguing after the, show, after the, 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 the fight, I can't give a guy two rounds when he land when he threw and landed three shots in two rounds. Like so, wait, so no, but, but, but we don't wait till the end of the fight and then say who we thought won. We score it round oh, by round. I, so. Oh, but I'm saying I can't give a guy a round. Like I couldn't give Romero the first round based on landing one punch. So you're telling me you scored round one for Israel Adesanya? Yes. Who didn't land anything in the first round and got hurt visibly hurt by a mm. giant counter shot? Now, I'm not saying it's normal. For somebody to win a round with one strike, that's what made this fight so weird. That's what, but but, come on, you got to give that first round. Yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. But didn't one of the judges go four one? He did, but every judge gave them the first. I was a little bit upset nobody gave Yoel the fifth. But look, it's it's it, again, he doesn't have an argument, Brandon. Even in that first round, Brandon, I'm, I'm arguing with you, but he doesn't even have an argument. Any round where you're where you're only throwing, you know, three Dude, strikes or one strike, you really don't have an argument. In any case. <laughs> 90 seconds of the fight, he just stood there like this. I think he's, yeah, I mean, look, he was establishing something. He had a game plan. It just, it. But but listen, but listen, whatever he did, whatever he did, it completely took Israel out of his game. It worked. That's why I'm saying it worked. So he, so his game plan was correct, but it was just the offensive output. He just didn't, he didn't combine that with it. And part of it, I believe, was, you know, he has that, that fear of gassing out. And there's nothing like that fear of gassing out. If you ever gassed out in a fight, it's the worst feeling in the world. If you feel like you're on an island and everyone's, you know, trying to help you, but no one can help you. And it's just the loneliest feeling in the world. But the scariest because you have a guy that for some reason you don't think he's as tired as you is or he may not be. And he's landing shots on you. And I think Romero did not want to be there in a place that he was with Robert Whitaker with Israel. He didn't want to be there. Brandon, what's another way to say? Ran out of gas. Go ahead. He would make him shoot his load. So he shot his load and let now him shoot his, let him shoot his load and then down the stretch do what we do best. When did you think that the fight was starting to turn when he shot his load and you could oh come out? God, it just doesn't end with that gross stuff. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, you know, let's bring in Tevin Farmer. One thing that he did wrong at night, he just, oh, he just threw, he threw his load. Now he's throwing his load. I mean, this is great. This is great stuff right there. All right. Um, I went back and listened to full press conference after the fight. 
dude, Paulo Costa is is just a a masculine boy. I mean, this is I mean, him coming out the 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 basic English put downs that he was giving out of Sanya, it just got me fired up. Um, Rashad, give me one word to describe what this Adesanya Costa fight will look like. I think it. I think it will be the fight. I think Paul Acosta is is a Frazier to to uh, Adesanya's Ali. You know, I think they they need each other. You know what I'm saying? I think that this is the 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 fighter that Israel needs to push his legacy to where he wants to be. Because in order for you to have that legacy, the people got to remember you for one one trilogy fight or one fight that you know where they see. You know, you, you were tested, and, and your and your challenger was as worthy as you are. And I think that this Paulo Costa brings that to the table because, you know, he's uh he he he's big, he's he's talented, and um he he's a bit crazy, you know, and and he's he's uh you know he he's got he's got this brashness about him that's just appealing, but at the same time cringeworthy. You know what I'm saying? Like he's got this this way about him that just makes you want to watch him and. Those two are just meant to be together. Now, Brando. Okay. God. I, all right. Wait. Hold on. I am like. I'm like borderline offended that he said he's that Paulo is cringeworthy. Cr- he's amazing. What are you talking about? No. He, no. He's kind of corny, man. He's kind of corny <laughs> with the glass. Because here's here's why I say that. Here's why I say that. It, is yeah, he's a good looking guy and all that, but I think that he tries too hard. Like I, I feel like I get like a strong try from him, but <laughs> but but at the same time. It's appealing because I, I it, it kind of fits him, you know what I'm saying? It kind of fits. It, he's like a he's like a wrestler character for real. Yeah, I don't think he's really like that in real life. He's a big beefy boy. He's is, awesome. Is he basically calling him like a buffoon, like a like a big baboon, basically? What do you, he had a bunch of insults at him. But so Brandon, I, I'm I'm woke. Like I don't think this fight hurts Israel's pound for pound. I mean, it certainly hurts his potential short term commercial growth. It doesn't hurt his pound for pound ranking in my eyes personally. So when I look at a, a Costa Israel Adesanya fight, I certainly think sex, violence, all all that stuff in one. <laughs> but but I see I see an Israel knockout, and I see it fairly clean. Even though I respect Paulo Costa's danger, can you talk me into more of thinking you know a trap fight element, or thinking Costa has more of a chance? I, it's not that I disrespect him. I just think he comes single lane. He comes all man at you, and if you are style bender level of of sophistication and your countering and your angles you're gonna you're gonna send this guy to the deep dark depths well he's one-way traffic man and it's kind of hard to slow somebody like that down that would be my thing is like what do you think paulo's gonna walk into the ring at that night like 200 275 yeah yeah um i mean izzy's gonna be light so his game is gonna be to stay on the outside and kind of do what he did in this fight and and pick from the outside with his counter shots, but I don't know, man. That you're, to me, that means that you're saying that you would make Izzy like a minus two hundred favorite or yes, something. Yes, I right? would. Yes, I would. I don't think it's that that big of a difference between the two. I think I think Paulo's power will show a lot more than Romero's power did. Like, just look at how he fought Romero. Like that fight was insane. Romero also that, had his hands down in that fight. Can we go back and actually acknowledge that Romero was not doing defensive Cuban genius in that fight? He was ready to bang. Yeah, he, I mean, he there there were there were times where he was like that, but for the most part, when he when Israel threw some punches up, he put his arms up, and it's hard to penetrate those long arms that Romero have. You know, it's like John Jones' shield when he put those arms up. But 
I think that we kind of got a preview of what will happen between uh, between Costa and um, Israel with that fight, Romero, stylistically speaking. Uh, but I say the biggest difference is the fact that Israel is going to have more opportunities to counter and strike because Costa is going to come at him. But with that also said, Israel is going to have to do a better job defensively speaking. You know, sometimes I feel like he does a really good job of, of swinging his head out the way and just creating those angles enough that he slides out of the way and just in the nick of time. But I think with the aggression of Paulo Costa and the fact that he's going to be, you know, moving forward, I think he can get caught by just, you know, swinging his head back. So I think that he's going to have to be a little bit more defensively responsible and make sure he establishes that range up the middle like he should have done with Romero. You guys notice this weird trend lately? Every fight's on the feet nowadays. No one's going to the ground anymore. I mm-hmm. mean, you, know, you even look at... at um. Kamaru and Colby was a five-round boxing match. It's like, I'm thinking of this fight. I'm like, how much do I respect Paulo's wrestling ability? Israel's, uh, you know, takedown defense has really improved. I just feel like every big fight we're seeing, it's, it's stand up all day. John Jones ain't taking people down anymore. Cause you know why? It's, it's, it, it becomes so grueling to, to, to grind out a, a um, a grappling fight. And, and then here's the thing about it. Like, it's always a gamble. So you're just like, you know what? I can take this guy down all day. But I know he has pretty good wrestling, and I know he's going to put up a fight, and I'm not going to be able to hold him down. So if he gets back up and he got me to expend more energy, now I'm an energy deficit while he's fresher than me on his feet. And then that's where that's where you start to play that game in your mind, you know? I mean, look at what happened with Benil Dariush and Jakar Close on Saturday. Benil gets him in a, in a backpack position for an entire round and then has no legs for the second round, you know? That's fair. Fair point indeed. All right, let's roll on to round two. It was the co-main event at UFC 248, a five-round classic between Li Zhang and Yuan Young Jacek. Rashad, Brandon, and I have already put out, like many people, into the into the atmosphere that this was the greatest female fight in UFC history, certainly that we've ever seen on the female side. I went as far as saying this is like top, you know, five, top three, maybe of best fight I've ever seen. Rashad. I've never seen two people be that willing to leave everything in the cage. And I mean, their lives. I mean, look, I got scared during, you know, the first Dan Hendo Shogun fight at certain points. I certainly got scared in that first Mark Hunt Bigfoot fight. There's been fights where you're like, damn, something bad could happen here. I felt like the last three rounds we were heading that way because of the ridiculous stubbornness that these two brought to the table that it was live or die, man. I've never seen crap like this. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely uh, one of my best fights I've ever seen, you know, women and men alike. And that and that's just the beauty of it all, you know, that these women transcended, you know, gender and, and anything that you can put on a typical idea, which you think a great fight with the package to come in. You know, the, these women, 115 pound, uh, small women, but were just completely dynamic and dynamite you know i think it was for me it was uh like that that final graduation that you know the women have arrived in a big way you know because that fight right there that was that was that was a piece of artwork something that you can show people what it means to be a fighter and 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 just to see these women you know mentally battle themselves as they we're getting a snot kicked out of each other, but then find a way to 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 come back 
and and try to make it, you know, try to make it back into the fight. And especially I was so impressed for Joanna because typically speaking, you know, she's got that bully fighting style mentality where if she's not out winning the fight, then she's not winning the fight. You know, she's not in the fight, you know, and this is a fight where you see her, you know, play that tug of war, that seesaw battle, you know, that that you don't typically see her face, you know, do when she's in there with somebody who's dominating like that with, with their skill level. So I was just impressed, man. I thought that uh, I can't wait to see it again. Uh, whoa, whoa. You mean you can't wait to rewatch the fight or are you trying to plant the seed for a rematch? It's got to be a rematch. You can't allow oh, no, something no, no, like no, that no. to happen and just never let that happen again. Like that has to happen again. I mean, you got to give it some time because my girl, Joanna, man, she looked like Rocky Dennis. But, you know, <laughs> I, I wow, was, uh, deep dive was, right there. I was, I, you know, I was I was loving the dedication. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, I mean, in a couple weeks, you can have a pretty girl back. But oh my that God. fight, man, it, it, it had a it, it, that was a rough one. Brad, did I you get that reference? That's before you were born. OK, the, the movie <laughs> mask. That's some. Wow. Um, wow. So, look, if they had a rematch, Rashad, you wouldn't see that, by the way, on like UFC 260. You'd have to watch it on Faces of Death, Volume 5, because it would be the end, bro. The you the savages on this level, you got to get them away from each other. Never again. Like, I'm legitimately sitting here wondering how both of them will, will go on with life after after an outing like that. I mean, that's like. I mean, Ioana's face, no no joke, all jokes aside, all Klingon Star Trek memes aside, I mean, it looked like she got run over by a car. Like, that's what I would assume somebody would look like, right? That's just, yeah. in, it's insanity. So, Brando, we did a lot of comparing and in, in, in historically and saying, you know, is this a top three fight? What does it compare to? Is it better than Lawler McDonald? I personally think it's better than Jones Gustafson won, just my take. But no, I do, I do, because I, I feel like that fight does not age well. In terms of the rewatch, it was in the moment due to how shocked we were that Jones was in trouble, that there was a guy who was his equal. But I've gone back and watched that fight multiple times to be like, you know what? I mean, it's fun, but it doesn't come back to you as great. Where you go back and watch Hendo Shogun one, you're you're at the edge. Of your, you're like, oh my god, this is you know, yeah. it's it's insane. Um, pace wise though, I think this is what ultimately like this fight had it all had the brutality, had the importance had the crossroads of someone on the way up versus someone trying to regain their everything. It's got everything. But I think the pace, for me, is what makes this fight unique to one I've ever seen. Brando, give me another five-round fight, brutal or not, that could match the pace, the, the amount of strikes, the the just full-on foot on the gas pedal. You can't do it, bro. I get what you're saying, and I think I mentioned it on our instant analysis that the, the total strikes – landed by both fighters in this was the third most in ufc history regardless of gender which is just insane again um but i, I mean have you gone back and rewatched this fight in particular yet or no i'll never watch it again it's schindler's list to me brandon okay i'm sorry i can't i i, I care oh. about these women i was sitting too close it, it was too real to me <laughs> damn it all right to me, like this is the only reason like that this is what i would use as the argument to keep it lower on the list if you had to make one was that it never felt like there was true danger in terms of a knockout for either oh, fighter. In, in the fifth round, did you see Joanna get her nose when get she, crunched? When she her nose, yeah. But I'm saying neither one went down. They both just withstood so much heat that it was almost insane. But 
yeah, that to me that would be the only argument you can make is to say there was never a knockdown. Neither fighter seemed to be in true danger, quote unquote, where they needed to rally and come back. But again, that's because they were in a firefight where both were landing almost at the same time at different points. You know, in the I'll fight. support that. I always call that character when you're debating great fights. I remember if you remember in boxing a bunch of years back, Brandon Rios and Mike Alvarado, the first fight of their trilogy, was this insane battle. But the fight didn't have any character, meaning nobody got hurt. There were no shifts in momentum. It was two guys running into each other for like seven rounds until the referee jumps in kind of a little bit too early and stops it. And people are like, man, you know, I remember Kevin Elley saying, that's the best fight of the last 25 years. And I'm like, no, no, that ain't Corrales Castillo. That ain't Gotti Ward because those fights had character. You had people rallying from moments, getting up off the canvas, momentum shifts. I will give you that, Brandon. This did lack that. This was just full-on brutality but you know it had some of those other intangibles that mattered on such a deep level um i don't think we see it again i don't think we should unless joanna is able to just stay at this elite level and beat others but tell, tell rashad your take tell rashad your take I, I i know it i know it's uh i know it sounds harsh rashad can i bring in um prince nasim ahmed here i know this sounds terrible <laughs> i think he should finish no that's that's too hard. i should i should, th- I think I think he should finish listen i listen I think I think Joanna should finish. Um, she's gonna be thirty three. No. Um, <laughs> she's zero and four in her last four title bouts. She doesn't have elite level power, so if she's going to win against the elites, she's gonna take damage and a lot of damage. She's been to the full championship five round distance in seven title bouts. Remember the the Carolina fight? She went to the hospital, took incredible damage in winning that. Um, it, it won't get any better than this. This was her pouring out the jug of what's left in the veteran. Yes, she could beat get people ranked four, five, six, seven. I, I'm not saying she put a championship level performance, but, but Rashad, she left, she left, I think the rest of her career in the cage. I, I don't, I don't think I need to, I, she, she had a great career, but you're just, you're gatekeeping the rest of the way. No, no, that, this is very strange because. She was inches away from it going the other way. Like it wasn't like it was a landslide victory. It was a very close, very close, very close fight. So if she had won the fight, I don't, I don't think you would feel this way. I doubt you would feel this way at all. And with that said, I believe if she would have won the fight, she would have been just getting back to her old Joanna, but just in a, in, in a new mindset with having had that pain of having to rediscover herself. And with the loss of that fight, this fight, I feel that she's probably in that same position where she's, you know, that Joanna who learned how to lose and who learned how to be the proper champion by having her, 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 her heart tested by losing disappointing fights. So I, I think that I think that there's still another level for her to hit. I think that this I because because this fight right here was a raise of a level. Like you've seen a raise of a level, and you've seen you know all the fact that I mean you've seen the fact that you know all the time that she's been beating those championships that fights that you were talking about. You've seen where they actually were paying off because you've seen her you know getting back and, and, and fighting from a different position and, and going back and forth and not and not, you know, giving in to 
you know, Wei Lee, once Wei Lee started to dominate, you know what I'm saying? So you've seen the improvements, and I just feel like there's still yet another level that she's going to hit because she lost this fight, but to me, it seemed like she was more of the victor in her heart when she walked up the octagon. That's I fair, just, but that mileage adds up. So are you saying that you could see her working her way back into the title content, contention again, like like winning two fights and being right back there? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, and I think the fact that she's going to be spearheaded by the fact she's done so well in this fight and everybody's going to be like, yo, girl, you are it. You know, um, you know, she she did take a lot of damage in that fight. But even even if you assess the fact that she took damage in that fight, she she has a heck of a chin. And when somebody has the on the aspect of being done and showing that they've taken too much damage, they get rattled when they get when they catch those shots that Whaley was throwing. You know, she ate it. She ate a nose piece that put her nose on the other side of her face and just kept moving like nothing happened. That's not the sign of somebody who's can't physically take the punishment anymore. I mean, those are fair comebacks. She's a freaking <laughs> savage. There's no doubt. Uh, look, I'm, here's what I think. Well, Brandon, you're celebrating. You're celebrating. I, right? I, I, love I, this. I love this because our producer, Mikey Mormile, and our buddy, Matthew Coca, are the ones who always gang up on me when I'm the one who says fighters should retire early. And now that's on you, buddy. That's This well, is your argument to take. Let's let's have an honest conversation here. Rashad, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Okay. I wonder if I'm saying this because they're women. Because I, you have a natural ability to you know, want to protect women, right? It's our, it's our it's our sort of manly code and upbringing. I wonder if I'm too fearful for potential damage and long-term effect. Would I be as fearful if this was Robbie Lawler or Shogun Hua? It's a, I think that's a fair debate. I don't know if I have that answer, though. You know, I will say I sat six feet away in the front row. I will say I covered the fight all week, interviewed both multiple times, and sort of, you know, really got caught up in this storyline where it could lead me during that fifth round to be like, oh, my God, throw the towel. Somebody do something. I feel like they're both going to be compromised moving forward. I, I, here's the thing about it. Here's the difference between men and women. Women know when to not take risks. Women women, women are the first to be like, you know what? I think maybe I should stop. Men are the ones that will allow the ego to take them to a place where they can't come back from just because of pride alone. I think that women have a better grip of, of relenting to that ego and allowing change to happen a little bit better than men. That's why That's I don't fair. really fear that she's going to put herself in a position where she's going to be punchy or anything like that. So that's an interesting point. We've never really seen that on the highest female level either. So, um, and yeah, and the female pain tolerance, as we already know, Rashad is is through the roof. So it's, it's through the roof. Like they can take, like they're they're made for the you know to take the kind of pain that 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 she just take that like that knot on the head like it was nothing. Yeah. Like she just needed a little ice and that was it. Like Brandon, <laughs> not, there's no ch- children coming out of your loins. All right, no one's squeezing a watermelon through a grapefruit on your. Body, right? <laughs> Thank you, please. You had to be weird. Okay. Um, I want to top off this topic with something that I brought up late Saturday. Hey, hey guys, um, wake up to this fact: Weili Zhang versus Rose Namajunas is going to be a freaking awesome fight and it's not going to look exactly like jj whaley zhang but you know i i believe in rose i think rose is still rose she's gonna have to get by andrage 
But I think that from a skill versus skill fight, I, I, I would be as or more excited about that fight than than almost any other you can make on the men's side. You know, maybe with the exception of, of Tony Habib in, in, in that level of fight. I mean, this fight stylistically is going to be wild because of Rose's boxing ability, her length, her submission game. I mean, look, Joanna doesn't finish people. She doesn't submit people. She comes at you. They made a, a train wreck of a great fight. Rose fight is going to be a lot of chess going on, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree because Rose sets a lot of traps. You know, you've seen her set traps when she fought Joanna, and and they were really, really good traps. Um, so so I think that with an aggressive striker like Wei Lee, you know, you serve yourself up for those kind of same traps as Joanna did. So I think that you know, um, a quick footed and 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 a well angled, um, Rose Namajunas, she can catch, she can definitely catch Wei Lee in some positions. And the fact that you know, uh, uh I Wei Lee. You know, her size against Rose, I think, can be a problem because Rose would do a better job of keeping her long. You know, I felt as if, like, Ioana at times used her size and, and Whaley seemed to be outmatched on the size, but it wasn't enough. Ioana didn't use that size difference enough, but I feel like Rose Namajunas would. Brandon, do you believe there's anyone else in this loaded strawweight division if we're going to guess that Weili Zhang bounces back from the, the grind of this fight and is the same fighter, although Valentina Shevchenko, by the way, an aerial show on Monday was like, she's going to lose her next fight. She'll never be the same. She's never going to want to fight me. And did you hear that evil laugh that came out of Valentina? That was a little, a little interesting from my point of view. Do you see anybody else in the 115 rankings who's a real tough style matchup for Weili that, that could end up taking this crown? The only person I could think of would be like somebody like Tatiana Suarez, just because she's got a little bit more of the wrestling to challenge her. But even she's still got this neck issue that is keeping her out of action for a while, and we don't know when she's coming back. So right now, I don't see it. And I get what she, what Valentina was saying, because Whaley's not a big 115 anyway. So if she even tried to go to 125, like that's a really bad matchup. I don't think you can get Valentina in that type of fight because she's so skilled and so tough and has so many ways out. Uh, you know, you couldn't. And then look, if the, you saw the ease that Valentina beat Joanna, if Joanna, although a better version of Joanna was able to entrap Whaley into this kind of war, it would probably be more one-sided against Valentina. But, uh, like you said something, Brandon, Saturday night, you can't make a bad Whaley fight moving forward. I mean, I, I'd pop for her against Claudia, against, against you know, almost anyone in this division. I'd pop for Claudia in general, but that's more of a personal comment that we can talk about after the show. All right, then. Thank you. Hold on. Okay. Boogie Woman, are you still coming? Boogie Woman is coming tomorrow! Take some time off, though. Don't, don't, don't come so soon. Okay, indeed. All right, let's roll on to round three here, guys. Um, I don't know if you caught Daniel Cormier's tweet yesterday. Thank you, Stipe Miocic. Miocic. Alistair felt it. All right. Uh, Rashad, we all want this third fight, the final in DC's career, the fight to declare once and for all who is the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. DC talked to the media last week when he got some award from USADA for never popping dirty. And um, although I can picture him riding dirt. No, no, no. Just kidding. Mm -hmm. Um. And he was like, look, I hope we make it, blah, blah, blah. Does this tweet, am I am I reading the tea leaves correctly? We're going to do this this summer, Rashad? Isn't Stipe hurt? Didn't Dana say that? What do you know? What's happening here? I don't know, but it sounds like that tweet is a cryptic way of saying that, you know, they're going to get it on because DC wouldn't even acknowledge that if he, if, if it was nothing. So 
or it may or maybe even DC just trying to get the conversation started. I don't I don't even know because um, honestly speaking, if it was something that was happening sometime soon, there would have been some kind of rumblings about it. And I haven't heard anything on this whole subject, man. I think that honestly, uh, Steve is playing a little bit of mind games with DC just because he felt so disrespected when DC was a champion. He felt like he was playing with them. He, you know, they were going to overlook him to give, you know, Brock Lesnar the opportunity. And he's like, wait a minute, come on now. You know, I, I was, I'm the most winning heavyweight UFC champion of all time. How are you going to not give me a rematch? So I can understand where Stipe is coming in feeling like that. So um, he's going to play with DC for a while. Stipe and DC. DC, I love that. I love it. Well, chicks chicks don't really dig firemen. Chicks dig roided up superheroes, right? I'm a white boy and I'm jacked. Deal with it. So he had to deal with it there. But now he's back in the power position. Uh, Brandon, both of these fights were hella excited, exciting. Considering the third one will be at the tail end, they're both at the, somewhat at the tail end of their career. Although you know Stipe still got uh, there's just, there's a lot left. But um, is this third fight going to be the best of the three in your eyes? I mean, I think that's more on DC DC than anything else. DC, like DC actually, yes. It's um, it's going to be on what he wants to do because I feel like he can dictate the fight the way that he wants it to be depending on his weight and depending on his style of fighting, if he decides to actually fight like a sane person in the third fight instead of the way he did in the second, then he should win in theory. Well, My he, question to you is going to be, do you, if this is like all cryptic and heading towards like a July International Fight Week card, what's the main event? This or Usman Masvidal? Usman Masvidal. Look, we're going to hear from Kamaru later Jeez. in this show. Um, he doesn't confirm the fight, but it sort of makes it sound like that's what's happening. If that's the main event, they're going to have to pair two title fights with it or or the equivalent of a title fight with a big name. Um, yeah, I think that'll be it. I think that'll be it. As long as that's a loaded card, that fight can close the show. I mean, look, think- they hate each other. They hate each other. That thing's going to pick up. Colby and Kamaru didn't pick up because Colby didn't play the part of Colby Covington in the in the promotion. You think Colby, or you think Usman Masvidal has more heat on it than DC Stipe three? No, I don't think they're going to be on the same card. Is what I'm guessing. Okay, that's what I was asking. I think we're, they're going to push that third fight off if Stipe's got some kind of injury. Push it off a little bit more. Um, I'd be so fired up for it, Rashad. I saw DC DC over the weekend. Um, he's now thick with a third, maybe even a fourth C. Um, would you <laughs> yeah. advise this man to? You know, we're not talking about a two hundred five cut, but Maybe maybe drop a, a, a couple ten here and wrestle in this third fight. I know, I know, but DC, DC, gosh dang it! <laughs> it! It seems like the bigger he gets, the better he fights, you know. And, and um, I think that's what he was going for with his last fight. You know, it looked like he put on more size to bring more power in that punch, and it seemed like it was working. But um, the the body work was missing, and that was exposed when. Stipe started raining those body shots. So yeah, he definitely got to start getting that getting that weight down because it it becomes to a point where you don't want to make your camp just about cutting weight, you know, or getting to a weight where you feel comfortable at, and you want to be able to train at the weight that you're gonna fight at. You know, I always did my best in training camp where I would get my last few weeks down at the weight that I'm gonna fight at. 
you know, so then I got used to moving around at that weight. So then I knew on fight night when I got to that weight, I felt good and I felt strong. And, you know, I think most fighters are the same way. So with DC, you know, you know, that, that weight limit is 265, but you don't want to toe that line, especially when you got somebody like Stipe who's going to be looking to create angles to land those body shots. Yeah, I mean, look, if it works, don't don't cut the weight, you know? The fat fellas can fight for some reason. All fat people can fight. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. We've seen success lately with, with uh, certain fat guys, you know? Oh, wait. Was he a great big fat person? Yes, yes, he was. Okay, thank you. Um, So, look, DC did say that he was injured in the second Stipe fight. He came in a little too cocky, figured he'd finish him again. Wouldn't matter. Now he's back from... from recovery surgery all that stuff he feels great we'll see what happens there let's roll on quickly here round four guys uh talk about a lightweight duel ufc san diego may 16th we're looking at dustin poirier dan hooker in the main event good god rashad tell me tell me what this makes you feel inside man it makes me feel all kinds of excitement you know dan hooker just made me the biggest fan after the performance he put on with uh with paul in, in the fight in new zealand it was just absolutely amazing but you know, Dustin Poirier is, is is one of those fighters who's just been getting so much better. And every single time he goes out there, even in a losing effort with Habib, you know, you just still seeing that, you know, this guy is so close to just being that that guy that, you know, starts to put distance between him and the rest of the fighters in the weight class. And he's getting it. You know, he's starting to uh, believe and he's starting to feel himself. It's going to be interesting to see how he comes back, though, from this hip surgery, because, Hip surgery is no joke, you know. It, it it that's a lot of your power, that's a lot of your motion, and and when you start messing with things that mess with your mobility and motion and power, then you know you can change the fighter that you are, and we'll just see if he's the same fighter. Uh, Brando, quickly on this one, uh, you, we're gonna find out everything we need to know about Dan Hooker and whether he's ready to dance with the uh, with, with with the big boys here. I mean, good God. Uh, you think he, you think he can win this? You think he can win this fight, bro? Yeah, I mean, this was the perfect step up for Hooker going into like the deep dark depths of light of lightweight now and like actually getting closer and closer to his title shot and to his number one contender status that he wants. I think he can win this. It's just going to depend on how healthy Dustin is and if Dustin if Dustin's the same guy that we saw go through hell to beat Max Holloway and claim the interim title and look good and look as good as one can against Habib, it's going to be tough to beat that guy. But I think Hooker's game plan, if he has the right game plan, he can beat him. I'll tell you what, though. We do have a chat with Justin Gaethje later on in this show. Him not getting this fight, it makes you go, uh, it's things that make you go, hmm, about whether he does end up getting a Connor fight or Connor just stays in the bullpen and waits for the Tony Habib winner. When I hear Dana White this weekend saying, that the only fight he would bring to Allegiant Stadium, the Raiders' new stadium in Vegas right now, is that fight of Habib Connor 2 and saying it's going to be the biggest fight in combat sports history. It's going to break Maymac and Maypac records. Um, it makes me believe they wouldn't take that chance. But then again, why doesn't Justin have an opponent? It's interesting. Because mm. Justin keeps turning down fights, according to Dana. That is interesting. By the way, uh, Ali trying to strong arm Dana into making, uh, uh, what is it, Justin versus uh, Connor by saying that Habib would never fight Connor unless Connor went through Justin Gagey first. I saw somebody ask Dana about that 
I think it was Brett Okamoto and uh, Dana just kind of like laughed and was like, we'll see. We'll see, guy. All right. Rashad, why didn't you show up at this Dominance MMA presentation of all the horses in the stable? This was impressive. It was impressive, but I had some other matters to attend this weekend, so I had to miss out. But uh, I see my brothers up there, and um, yeah, I wanted to be there, but, uh, you know, other things came up. Beefy Latifi filled your presence with a hell of a shirt. Don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> round five uh, here. Uh, yeah, what do you got? So, based on that that um, media day that you had, I saw that you talked to Rumble Johnson, and he was there and answering a lot of questions about coming back to UFC. Apparently, he's also still not in the USADA pool, despite like this yes, whole. That was interesting. He said he said probably next month. Now, look, I'm not saying anything. I'm certainly not saying anything about Rumble. But Rashad, if you have announced that you're coming back, and you're not in the USADA pool. Why? Why would you not just jump in? I don't know. You know, um, I think even with deciding to come back, you know, he's still been kind of mulling over his decision if he really wants to do this and how much he wants to do this. So I think that he's just kind of, you know, kind of moving along and, and testing his dedication and seeing how much, you know, how how consistently he can, you know, put forth the effort to to do it. You know, he's he, did you see when he did the sumo wrestling match with the guy who was like 600 pounds yes. just recently? Yes. Yeah. So he, he's, he's trying to figure it out. You know, he's doing different things and having fun with it still. And I think once he enters into the USADA pool, it just makes everything real. Uh, speaking of that, I, we did like a 10-minute interview with him. It's fantastic. We're going to roll out these Dominance MMA interviews over the next couple of weeks. We'll be hearing three of them today. Stay tuned to that. Uh, Rumble Johnson's talking about maybe coming back to 205. He's just ready to take some souls. I can not wait. Round five quickly here. One more fight that was announced. Amanda Nunes will be back to defend her 145 belt May 9th, UFC 250, the Jose Aldo Henry Cejudo card. And it is Felicia Spencer in the end that gets the call over Megan Anderson. Makes a lot of sense to me. Rashad, how nervous should, uh, should the lioness be here? Uh, I mean, we, can we talk ourselves into Felicia Spencer being a live dog, given how well she fought against Cyborg? I mean, Spencer brings some unique challenges to this fight, you know, because she's so dominant on the ground and she does, you know, stick to her game plan and doesn't, you know, get too caught up in, in, in deviating from that. So she she has the ability to put Nunez in some unfamiliar territories just because of the depth that she can take her on the ground. But at the same time, this is... This is the lioness right here. This is this is the one who 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 can sprawl and brawl and has combinations from hell, you know. So I think that Spencer can present some challenges, but to me, it's going to be how does she close the distance to even implement any of that that grappling that she can do because she doesn't take shots really well at all. Interesting. GDR Spence. though. You're saying Spencer doesn't take shots well? I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think she has the, like, I don't, she's, to, like, when I see her shoot, she's not, I don't know, I'm, I'm not impressed by her takedowns. I'm just saying, I, I feel like she's got the chin to stand with, with Amanda after what she went through against Cyborg, because in Cyborg fight, we thought she was going to get walked through, and, and she stood there and ate a lot of those heavy punches from Chris. Mm-hmm. So, I, if it's a wrestling match, it's a different story, but. If it's a standing striking game, I think that's a really fun fight. Should yeah, it's a, it's a fun fight, but I think Spencer got to got to bring in that 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 ground challenge in there to Amanda Nunes because when when you when you make somebody fight out of their comfort zone, 
then they have to fight. And when you fight, you fight out of emotion. And when you fight out of emotion, that's when the opportunities come. So I think in order to make Amanda fight with that emotion, you got to bring her into those positions where she feels very uncomfortable and having her go through those those grappling exchanges where she has to get back up to her feet and then come back and strike. Then you're going to be dealing with a different kind of striker. Can't wait to see what that looks like. Shout out to uh, Amanda and Nina. Aren't they welcoming a child, Brandon? Yeah, uh, Nina is actually carrying the child and they're expecting in September. And Nina still wants to fight after that. People love them, and I love that. Like the 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 community, the sport has embraced that couple. I think they're like the power couple of this sport above any others. It's it's uh, maybe that's what happens when you're the greatest. Maybe that's you know success brings that. Although I know you're a big fan of uh, of uh, Rocky and Tisha, Brandon, in terms of your favorite couples in the UFC. That's your favorite. All right, thank you very much, Schmo and Helen Yee. Is that your second favorite couple in the UFC? All right, hey, we're gonna roll on here. Hey, it's time to hear some sound. Let's do it. We got Habib Nurmagomedov. Now look, they were they were pulling him away. I was able to grab him for a minute and a half. Got a good chat coming your way. It's short and sweet. It's Habib. Enjoy it. Lightweight champion Habib Nurmagomedov, the Tony Ferguson fight, April eighteenth in Brooklyn. We can't wait. Would you agree with this statement? A lot of critics are saying, if there's one man who could hand you a loss. It might be that man, Tony Ferguson. I'm not saying he will, but I'm saying he has the greatest chance of any lightweight out there. I think so, because if you watch on his uh, on his um, on his uh, list, how many fighters he beat, you know, he's he's real deal. He's real deal, you know. That's why I like this fight, because he's a real challenge, real opponent. A lot of people talk about he can beat me. This is how you become greatest fighter. You have to beat a lot of fighters when people talk about you're going to lose. This is make you like fighter like big. I, 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 that's why I love this challenge. You know, I hope we're going to finally we're going to fight. Are you focused on the idea of retiring as the greatest fighter of all time with an unbeaten record? Is that a goal and a focus right now? You know, like talk about like, oh, I'm the greatest of all time. I don't know. We have John Jones, Fedor. We have Demetrius Johnson. We have Henry Cejudo, we have DC, Anderson Silva, it's like Fedor, it's like a lot of guys, you know. One of the best, maybe, but I don't want to talk about I'm the greatest of all time. Honestly, like one of the best. All right, to close here, we can't wait. Send me location, it's Barclays in Brooklyn on April 18th. Give me one word to describe what this fight with Tony Ferguson is going to look like. It's going to look like... Uh, I'm focused on finish. I'm going to finish him, inshallah, second or third round. There it is. Habib Nurmagomedov, the Eagle, will be back. Great talk. All right. Special thanks to the Eagle there. Now, gentlemen, interesting what he was able to say right there. First of all, he agreed with me. The only man he believes that can beat him at lightweight is Tony Ferguson. I, I like that sort of openness to say, yeah, yeah, he could beat me. This is why... I need to prepare so well for this fight. This is how you become an all-time great by taking on the fights where people say that man can beat you. I get down like that. Yeah, I like that too, man. And that just shows how serious he's taking this fight and where his mindset is going into this fight. You know, for him, this is that legacy fight. You know, to him, none of it means anything if he can't beat Tony Ferguson. You know, it's it's uh, it's been kind of crazy the fact that they've been scheduled to fight probably like nine times and it just never happened 
and um, to to have it this close to happening, uh, it's got to be just kind of crazy to him on another level because every single time you have a fight, you have this anticipation. Now imagine that anticipation times seven or eight times that they were supposed to fight, you know, and everything that's on the line. So, and even, and even at the the press conference, watching those two get into it, you know, you kind of got the feeling that, um, you know, that Tony was getting into Habib's head and that's something that you never, that you never see. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Um, I don't know if Habib would. This is number one bullshit. But I would agree with that. Uh, Rashad, let's play a little quick uh, fill in the blank here. Let's have fun. Habib said he likes to think of himself as great, maybe even an all-time great, but not a goat. To him, he named the people he believed are goats. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to ask you this. If Habib was able to defeat Tony Ferguson, Conor McGregor in a rematch, and then have a goodbye go away against a GSP or insert, you know, fight of his choice at that moment. The correct placement of Habib Nurmagomedov in the greatest of all time standings afterwards would be blank. Hmm. Jeez. Oh man, you would you would have to say because nobody else to, in you, that you, conversation you, you, is unbeaten. That's very yeah, you, interesting. You, you, would, you, would, you would have to say number one, and this is why you would say number one. It would be between him and John Jones. And the reason why you would say him over John Jones because he doesn't have any asterisks next to his name. You know, John Jones is an amazing talent, but you can always bring in, you know, questions like, ah, you know what I'm saying? You can always say that. Even though I personally don't, you can always say that. But with Habib, there is no saying that. You know, he's... He's done it. He's been on the up and up, and and he's beat some of the best guys in the way that he's done it. You know, guys haven't even won a round off of Habib. I think that he may have won, lost a couple rounds in his whole entire career, and to be able to go out there and not only win every single fight, but to win almost every single round is beyond impressive. That's some like Kale Sanderson type stuff in in amateur wrestling. You know, I mean, imagine if he had a win over Tony Dustin. Two over Connor, and then add in, like I said, you know, whatever they did. If he was really willing to walk away after three more fights, which you kind of get the feeling he's more wired to do that than to linger and wait for an L, you know, and, and clean out a division. It's very interesting. Now, Brandon, I've always believed there's levels to this when it comes to rankings and goats and Hall of Famers. I think John Jones is the goat, but I always say I believe there's others, four or five others sitting at that table. I asked Habib in that interview. He named the usual suspects. John Jones, Anderson Silva, Demetrius Johnson, Fedor. He forgot to say GSP, and I think he just forgot it. But instead of saying GSP, he said Henry Cejudo. Your reaction to that is blank. Weak. That's uh, that's being a team player there. That's uh, knowing who who's sitting next to him, who hangs out with him a lot. That's yeah, that's that's not great. All right. Speaking of teammates, wait a minute. You can't get on Triple C like that. I mean, come on, Triple C. I'm not. I'm not doing this again. He does not not have the resume. Get out of here. Oh my gosh. Uh, He didn't beat Demetrius either. I hate to say that. He didn't beat him. He didn't beat him. He didn't beat him. You know. You knocked out a weight drain, Dillashaw. I'm not taking that against. Yeah, I did take it against him a little bit. He's a great didn't fighter in today's too? game. What? Didn't Benavidez beat him too? Yeah, Benavidez beat him. Yeah, great fight, fight of the year. But it happened. All right, it happened. Hey, let's throw to another uh, uh, stablemate of Habib. It's 
that violent fella, Justin Gaethje, coming at you right now. Enjoy. The most violent fighter in UFC history, Justin Gaethje. Are you okay with that? I love that. That's beautiful. All right, this summer, uh, what are you going to be doing here? I mean, what's going on, bro? CBS, we can't be saying that for overtime. We slip it in sometimes. It's all right. All right, all right. Let's get bleeped out. What'd you ask me? Look. People are saying the, the name Conor McGregor and linking you maybe this summer. Some people are saying that would be kind of a gamble for the UFC, giving your danger and his marketing level. Is this a real thing? Are there talks? What's going on here? Uh, you know things. Do you know no, things? No, I don't. I, I swear to God, I hear them from the Internet. You know, you, you know before my mom calls me and tells me what's going on in my career. Um, I'm a fighter, man. I'm, like you said, I, can't, I cannot uh, put too much thought or emotions into those things that I cannot control. You know, I can control my preparation, effort, um, and skill set. Um, I have all the Abdelaziz. I have Trevor Whitman to do that for me. What's more valuable to you? Khabib. A title fight? Khabib. Oh, Khabib's way more valuable to me uh, for legacy, for everything. And then uh, ultimately, when I, if I was to be Khabib and then fight Connor, that's that's red pain. Right? If you're gonna have any, wow, yeah. If there's a red pain night, that's red pain night. So, all right. Uh, which of your many, many memorable brawls was the most fun? Win or lose? Uh, I think the Eddie Alvarez fight was probably the funnest fight I had. Uh, those two guys, Dustin Poirier, Eddie Alvarez, were able to get into Hell's Kitchen with you and survive. But you've evolved a great deal since then. Do you get the respect you you deserve at this point for adding those wrinkles to your game? Um, not from the average Joe, absolutely not. But from a from an educated eye, I I see that that happening, but. So it's my fault that that's the case because, you know, the, the way I fight, it's really hard to understand what's happening in there. But it's controlled chaos and um, I love chaos. When people talk about you that think they know a little bit about the game, they say, man, why doesn't that guy wrestle more? He loves to bang too much. What do you feel when you hear those criticisms? Uh, I use my wrestling a lot in there. Every time they try to take me down and make that shit boring or slow it down, I do not allow it. And that's by using my wrestling to stop that. Um, Thank God I am extremely athletic, and my athletic ability is is allowed me to to be one of the best strikers and still have that that ace in the ace in the hole per se. Um, I'll use it when I need to. There's there's a gas tank in, in this game in terms of stamina, but then there's that other side, the dark side. Um, you go darker than most people. How do you? Wh- where does this come from? Where does where does this come from? This ability to take people to just hell. Uh, you know, you don't know. It's probably the I'm white on the outside, I'm brown on the inside. So when you see me fight, you have to understand that I'm more than half Mexican. And I'm from um, the middle of nowhere, south of Tombstone, Arizona. Um, and I'm my why is huge. You know, I'm representing a small town, uh, a lot of kids trying to inspire a lot of youth there. And it's um, yeah. The, the human highlight film is here, Justin Gaethje. I want to see you this summer. I don't know who it's going to be, but best of luck to you, my friend. Thank you. I will fight again, um, and it will be great. All right. Special thanks to the highlight for checking it out with us. Rashad, I playfully called him off the top. The most violent fighter in UFC history. If it ain't him, it's blank. Ooh. um, It would have to be Mike Perry if it's not him. Mike Perry, Robbie Lawler, yeah. line one, Rashad. Come on, brother. Well, I mean, you're talking about Robbie Lawler hasn't been doing doing the violence like how he has. I'm talking about right now, guys out there being 
violent right now. Guys who go on there not to win fights, but guys go on there to just be the most violent in the fight. That's, that's fair. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's Mike Perry, you know, and, and that that to me is it's you know what you got when you got Mike Perry going to the octagon. Brando, I know you're gonna say it. Jorge Masvidal, okay? All right, Jorge Masvidal is your guy. South Florida in the house. Here we go. All right. I didn't say anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, Robbie Lawler. I mean, if you're saying right now, I understand what Rashad is saying. But Robbie Lawler's been doing this for like damn near 20 years and just been nothing but absolute violence. Every yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what would a Jorge Robbie Lawler fight look like right now? Um, ugly for Robbie. Uh, yeah, I mean it ain't it ain't Colby, you know, outworking him. There'd be a guy coming for him. Uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting. Man, I love Robbie Lawler. Uh, you know, I feel like he's just gonna be like that that underrated fine wine over the years. You know what I mean? Like people forget, man, that guy was like fun journeyman brawler in Strike Force, and then he you, just became UFC champion. You know, and and he's like one of those fighters who've been fighting so long, their age just becomes. And it just it just fades away. Like you don't even know how old Robbie is, and you look up his age, and he's like thirty three. Like, wait, what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's been fighting since he was like nineteen years old, and he's just been around forever. But uh, you'd be surprised how actually young he is. Well, shout out to Justin Gaethje for dropping the f word and asking us to restart the interview. Love that, in- indeed, right there. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll see what happens if he ends up getting Connor, and I-, I just can't believe they're gonna do that. I cannot believe they're gonna do that. But he doesn't have an opponent. So we'll see how that plays out. All right, one more interview for you. It is the welterweight king. It's Kamaru Usman. Yeah, dig it. The welterweight champion of the world, Kamaru Usman. I think that's what it says here, too. Uh, what are you doing this summer, like July 11th in Vegas? You got any plans? I don't know. I mean, they, they, they keep asking me, but uh, you know, I might be, you know, walking away from another crime scene, you know. Maybe a main event, maybe Jorge Masvidal, maybe the biggest fight you can make this summer, maybe? I think so. If that fight does happen, I think uh, biggest fight of the year by far. Okay. Uh, do you lick your chops against the guy in Masvidal? Super dangerous, but it's assumed that what you do the best, he doesn't do so great on the ground. Is this a thing you'd be excited to expose him? Man, I do everything, everything, you know, at a high level, and I, and that's that's what I think a lot of guys get misconstrued. Is I I it's, I think it's absurd that guys are still kind of labeling me as just a grappler. You know, I he didn't did go five rounds of hell against Colby. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't grapple one bit. And in the fight before that, you know, primarily standing up too. But, you know, I chose to grapple when I wanted and I got it down. There. Were you trying to make some kind of statement by not shooting for any takedowns in that fight? It was almost like you and Colby agreed beforehand. We're just going to do it like men. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, that's it was a it was a moment in that fight. When we came out, we started banging right away. And um, we just looked at each other. You just, you know, it's one of those things. It's a mano in mano. You look each other in the eye and you're just like, <laughs> Let's go. How real is the Jorge beef? Because we saw you at the Super Bowl right away. Everyone's like, great, great place to pump up a potential fight between the two of you. Is this thing, uh, is this thing you see in red? No, I mean, it, it's real in the fact that, um, it's real in the fact that they're, they're, they're doing everything possible to, to get the fight and saying whatever they needed to say. And, uh, you know, I don't think primarily that's a lot of, of, of Jorge because I've been around Jorge before, you know, uh, I think we actually sat in an interview one time together, uh, a tough 21 interview. So, um, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily him. I think it, a lot goes to his team and his camp, uh, uh, doing a good job of trying to sell a fight because him personally, I, I, I never had an issue with uh, Jorge personally, but at the end of the day, you know, 
your mouth, you know, you can only use your mouth so long until somebody decides to do something about it. So if that happens, we will we'll, we'll handle it. Uh, my CBS colleague, the great Rashad Evans, is a man you know well. Uh, he's got post-40 abs right now that makes me want to get USADA knocking on his door. Any thoughts? Yeah, Rashad has really changed a lot in his life. He's changed the way he eats, and I know that firsthand because I live with the man. He's changed the way he eats. He's, he's changed the way he approaches a lot of different things, and uh, as you can see in his body, he's doing them right. right. If you fight Jorge Masvidal this summer, what could this do to not the critical image? You're a pound-for-pound pound guy, the commercial image of Kamaru Usman. I don't know um, because, like, why? Like, that's a, that's a that's a tough question because what's what's I, I have that businessman though. Yeah, I have that commercial image now, you know. Like, that's a, that's a, that, that's that's a tricky part. Is you're not gonna get me to be outlandish or say you know crazy things that my my daughter is gonna regret later on when I'm when I'm you know when I'm older. You know, you're not going to get that out of me. And that, that's, I think that's the fine line between what we do nowadays and, and, and the society that we're in is everyone is expecting that. And, and you know, I, I'm going to stay true to myself, stay true to my virtues. And if, if Pepsi, you know, if want to do something with me, you know, Nike, you know, they GM, want, all the big GM, brands, all the big brands, y'all want to holler at me, go ahead and holler at me. You know, I'm that guy now. And after I walk away from another crime scene, I would still be that guy. You heard it right here. Kamara Usman, summer plans. They're coming. Great talking yeah. to you, brother. Okay. Thank you. All right, Kamaru, uh, Rashad, he shouted out your abs there, so we are uh, we are respectful of that. Said you're doing a lot of good things. I said, look, uh, Rashad looks so good at, the, at his age. I'm waiting for Usada to break that door down. He said, nope, he's doing the right things. He's he, you know he's in the right place. He said, I should know. I live with him. What is he talking about there? What are you guys bunk? What are we bunk mates here? What's going on? Well, coming up, Kamaru used to uh, he used to stay with me. You know, um, when he first got into the sport, he was just a pure wrestler. And he was training at the Olympic Training Center. And I trained with him when I was getting ready for the Rampage fight. And um, he was such a good training partner. When I decided to relocate and come to South Florida, he was one of the first training partners that I called. And he didn't want to stay because he was like, oh, man, I got a wrestling tournament. And the coach is going to get mad at me. And I'm like, dude, let me just let me just swindle you down here. So I just kind of made it made it really hard for him to leave. And he didn't leave for he didn't leave. <laughs> he didn't leave, man. And, and uh, he grew into become world champion, as you guys all know. He also has some great stories about uh, about the trees that you possess on his Joe Rogan appearance. <laughs> so shout out to that. Brandon and I are waiting in line to uh, hang out. And for Mikey, get, let's get it done, Mikey. All right. We'll get Rashad. We'll get the trees. We'll hang out in Dan Lambert's uh, championship belt room. You know, we'll, we'll really have a party down there. All right. <laughs> Uh, hey, Brando, you heard Kamaru Usman get a little upset there saying me and too many others are still looking at him as a one-dimensional fighter and we're forgetting the the striker he has evolved to and certainly five rounds of boxing against uh, Colby Covington. Uh, you can't argue too much with that. Uh, do you look at him as a complete fighter at this point? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? He's done what you've asked him to do. Like. He has checked off all the boxes. He was the wrestler. He out-wrestled and, and disarmed Tyron Woodley. He then dismantled Colby in an absolute brawl of a striking match. I mean, I, I don't know what else you need him to do. Well, then let me spin that on you, Rashad. If they made Jorge Kamaru, International Fight Week, main event, giant fight, Jorge star power, Kamaru's name is getting bigger. Would he want to stand and trade with Jorge to prove something to us? Because he sounded pretty 
pretty much in that interview like, yo, everyone, I'm not just a wrestler. Does that lead me to believe he's going to he's gonna try to throw hands with Jorge Masvidal? Should he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he, he's like, that's that's where he's at with his confidence with his hands, you know, and, and he doesn't get that just because of the people that he's facing in the octagon, but that he faced outside of the octagon, his training partners and what he faces and what he understands about stand-up, you know, and I think that's what he's trying to get at, you know, it's just a complete understanding. When you have an understanding about stand-up, then it doesn't matter who is the stand-up practitioner in front of you. You can still solve those stand-up problems at a high rate. And I I think that he can stand up with uh, Jorge and draw Jorge into a firefight just enough to get taken down. But he has to be very, very cautious as well, too, because Jorge um, has has some speed and some power and, and, and a dog in him, you know, so... He's he's very very dangerous, you know. I think the smart move would be would be just to do what you do, you know, take him down, rinse, wash, and repeat, and Rag just do that over and over again until that song gets tired, until he gets ready to break, and then you let him quit. Yeah, turn him into uh, what he did against Tyron Woodley. Indeed, on that, we'll see how that breaks down. Uh, what do we know about Kamaru's chin and durability? I- I'm trying to think of a fight in which he was. You know, banged up and tested. I mean, maybe if Kobe, what are you talking about? His uh, last fight, they took that was a like he took a lot of shots from Kobe. Kobe, Kobe banged him up pretty well. I don't know if Kobe's got fight ending power though. I'm trying right, but it. I think the damage comes with a fighter like Kobe is the cumulative effect of those punches. You know, he's not going to put you out with that one hit a quitter, but. He peppers you enough with those ones and twos and threes, and pretty soon they start to feel like they're hitting like a brick, and you go down. Didn't he also tear his knee like the week of the fight before Colby? Yeah, his, he suffered some sort of injury before the fight. Yeah, his his knee's been bothering him for a while, so you know he he wasn't he wasn't feeling you know hundred percent. But I think that that's when Kamaru performs his best. You know he he. He he performs his best when he's going in there. In there, he knows that he's compromised, and he knows that, um, you know, you got to burn the boats, and that's his mentality. You know, I got to burn these boats, and there is no going back, and there is no safety. You know, my knees messed up; it's messed up. I'm gonna go in there, and I'm gonna get this win no matter what. I did like what he said about the Colby fight, and that when I asked him, you know, did you guys decide beforehand not to shoot because this turned into a uh, a hellacious mano a mano uh, boxing fight, and he said that the two of them just sort of looked at each other, you know, standing in the cage before it started, gave each other the look, that look that basically says we're gonna bang, probably that look that Hagler and Hearns gave each other. Rashad, has anyone ever given you that look? I'm not talking about your personal life, but inside the <laughs> cage, and was like, we banging, bro. Yeah, yeah, rampage, rampage. We got that. We got that look going. We banging, and even um, even with the Forrest fight, it was like that. We're banging because Forrest told me the day before. He said, "Hey, don't come out and shake my hand. We're just coming out fighting." Nice, you know, so nice. when somebody tells you that, then you know that we banging like right out the gate. That's that's what it's like right there. Kate resides <laughs> your mouth. Yes. I mean, who breaks the door? Indeed. All right. Weekend preview time. Two good cards this weekend. We're going to start in Bellator Friday night. Brandon, new Connecticut resident. You ready to join me at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville for Bellator 241? Stiff arm and Corona on the way. 
going to Uncasville, someplace that I didn't know existed about a month ago. It's a part of the town of Ledyard, which is part of the quiet corner of the state no one really goes to unless they're going to spend money or they're on their way to Rhode Island, which no one really goes to. So, yeah, there you go with that. Uh, our main event. Wow, this is part of that Grand Prix. This is a heck of a fight. Patricio Pitbull Friere will defend his title as part of the tourney against Pedro Carvalho. Rashad, when you think of this matchup, what are we thinking here? What are we thinking here? Pitbull bangs, but he's in a tournament, and you're finding a tough out at every single corner. Pedro Carvalho looking good lately. Yeah, Pedro has been looking good, but, um, you know, Patrico just, I feel, I feel like he's, he's really, uh, really coming into his own right now. You know, he's feeling himself. He's feeling a lot. Um, his growth has just been amazing in, in this division in sport. And I think that, you know, whenever you're in a tournament like this, you don't want to come out and, um, you don't want to go out and, and bang yourself up right away, but you definitely need to go out and set a precedent. And I look to see Patrico to go ahead and do that. He's fresh off of this is uh Pedro Carvalho fresh off of wins over Derek Campos by knockout. He submitted Sam Cecilia in his last bout. Uh Patricio Pipple might be the face of Bellator right now at this point. So uh it's gonna be interesting here, Brandon. Um you you're you're feeling a Pipple knockout. I can see it in your eyes. I mean, I'm feeling a fun Pitbull fight. I don't know if a knockout per se, but I think this fight has all the makings of being just like a good brawl for at least three rounds before somebody goes down. Pitbull took a five-round decision from Juan Archuleta last September in that first-round matchup. Of course, he knocked out Michael Chandler to become a two-division champion before that. That should be interesting. Co-main event, we got Daniel Vichel and Emmanuel Sanchez at featherweight. Paul Daly back against Saba mm. Humasi. Talk me into this one. Do I know Saba? Do I know the sleek chic? Oh, you know Saba. Saba is the man. Saba is... You know, Sabah is um he he's feeling himself lately, man. I've been I've been seeing him out and around and uh you know he's, he's in a really good place mentally speaking. And when Sabah's in that mental space where he's feeling good about competing and he's enjoying it and not taking it too serious and not, you know, putting a ton of weight on his on his on his uh plate, he goes out there and he fights well and that's that's the kind of Sabah that, that we're gonna see. You know, he's um I think he's going to go in this fight and try to shock people and let people know that he's been working on a stand-up and show people that he's got some power, too. Well, he's facing the ultimate one-hitter quitter in Paul Daly. And, Brandon, I know you're disappointed that Josh Barnett had a failed medical test, not a failed drug test per the uh, Mike Mazzulli of the Mohegan Sun Commission. So in his place to face Hani Marks is stick-kicker extraordinaire Matt Mitrione. Does this fight move you? Only if he stick kicks again. Yes, yes. Wow. I'm, I like Matt Mitrione. He's just a giant weirdo. It's going to be fun. That's fair. That's Man, y'all better stop talking about my boy Meathead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Honey Mark's Meathead, coming. Meathead is looking good, though. Meathead, he came down here to train, and, um, you know, he's, 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 um, he's such a student to the game. Like, he's still trying to get better and still trying to, you know, one of the last guys in the gym, the first guy to get there, that type of story. But, um, you know, he's he's looking to try to at least get one more run before he decides to call it quits. Uh, Honey Marks had been knocked out by Yoel Romero a long time ago. Now he's making his Bellator debut fresh off a three-fight stint in PFL. 
Uh, here's why I like Bellator, man. Sometimes they give you crap on the undercard. You have to see, right? We got Leandro Higo back. We got Nick Newell back coming off of his first Bellator defeat. Leslie Smith. Is this a, is this a debut for Leslie Smith? She come from the UFC? I think this is her first yeah. fight. Not sure, though. We got Hobson Gracie Jr. My boy Mike Kimball of Waterbury, Connecticut, who, win or lose, gives you a full-on action and excitement coming Sh- off of a lot. That's boy, too. Rashad, is he training down there with you, Mike Kimball? Is that? Yeah, yep, yep. Um, I grew up in the town next to him. I'd like to see him come back here after suffering a, a bad loss in that last fight when he sort of gassed out. And Baby Slice is back. Kevin Ferguson Jr. will be checking all that out. Some of the matchups. Hey, this is a deep car, man. It's yeah. like, what, 20 fights on this joint? It's a lot of fights <laughs> on here, man. And if you've ever and been. And ever, we got Jan Pasco on this card. Man, I might have to go down and join you guys to watch this well, fight. Well, that's card. the thing, man. You go to a uh you go early to a Bellator fight, the cards are deep, and the earlier you get there, the worse they're matched, and people get <laughs> sent to hell. I mean, it is and here's the thing. They don't fool around between fights. They drag the carcass out and the next guys are already ready to come into the cage, you know? They 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 rock out there. Look, the big the big news, the big fight this weekend is takes place in Brasilia. Brazil ESPN is your destination Saturday night. Uh that's the same time zone as us, right? Right, Brandon? It's an evening yes. card. Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um you won't be seeing Paige Van Sant on this card. She pulled out with an injury, but this lightweight main event, Kevin Lee, Charles Oliveira. I mean, look, this gets me the same level of excited I was for Dan Hooker and Paul Felder from the idea that somebody's going to win this and they're going to, they're going to get parachuted into that deep end of that top five of the lightweight division, which is all killer, no filler. Charles Oliveira on a sneaky six fight win streak, Rashad. And you know what I'm about to say. That Kevin Lee's a future UFC world champion. You know I'm about to say that. And it's true, yeah. by the way. Yeah. But this is a sneaky good fight. He's going into Charles Oliveira's backyard into the face of a win streak. You might have around to get tapped against this guy. Yeah, and especially how Charles Oliveira feeds off the crowd more than uh, uh, more than anybody I've ever seen. You know, he, he just kind of gets filled up by the crowd. He goes out there and he fights fast and fighting a fast fight with him. With those arm and those that 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 submission leverage that he has is a very dangerous thing because he's such a opportunistic submission artist. In the way that Kevin Calvin fights, I mean Kevin fights with the takedowns and everything. Sometimes he can put himself in position to be in a quick submission. So Kevin's going to have to be patient. He's going to have to slow the fight down. And he's going to have to be clear in his position in his grappling position and before he moves on to the next stage because in transitions charles Oliveira is extremely tough indeed um brandon i love the matchup i also love kevin lee's talent if he's going to be who i know he's going to be he's gonna have to start being that guy and when he sent gregor gillespie to hell it was a reminder of what he's capable of is he capable of walking through enemy territory and coming out with a TKO win here. I mean, he definitely is. And I think what we didn't factor in before his Gregor Gillespie fight was that he's working with Faraz Sahabi now. And he's finding that striking game that we weren't sure if it was there completely yet. And if he brings that same kind of striking game to this fight, I don't like it for Dubronx. Even though I'm a big Dubronx supporter in this fight, I think that if Kevin Lee comes in there with that calm collected striking game 
it it might be lights out quick for Charles here. Yeah, think- and and plus being in, in in the same gym with the likes of GSP, it does something for these young fighters to be associated and, and be able to rub elbows and learn from a legend like GSP. It just kind of ups the whole mentality of the gym like man if we're out here training with gsp and we're pushing it with him then we know that we're at the top level and i think that's the kind of confidence that you've seen in kevin lee his last fight with gillespie indeed uh who do you think i mean look you get a win here and this is a great fight you see dan hooker got a big win in that fight now he's in dustin poirier territory i mean are we looking at maybe the winner gets justin gagey i mean are we are we talking about that level here of, of the very top yeah, very well could be, especially since the fact that you need to feed Justin Gaethje, you know, um, and these guys. Uh, Kevin Lee, you know, if I was managing him, I would like to see him do one more fight outside of that talent pool just because of the fact that he just dropped back into this division again. You know, I want to see him, you know, have one more test and, and you know, a uh, a tougher fight too, but not one at the level of uh, Justin Gaethje because, these guys at that that top top level, they're um they're at a they're at a higher they're at a higher uh skill level than these guys. There's a there's a bit of a gap between you know the Kevin Lees and the Justin Gaethys. You know what I'm saying? Uh, indeed, fired up for this, you, Brandon. There's a thought on your mind. Why don't you just share it? <laughs> well, I was gonna say I feel like Paul Felder probably makes the most sense for the winner of this fight. But I was also going to tell you, because I just got an email there about this, and I thought you'd appreciate it. Uh, Keith Byers just got inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Your, your high school coach, former That's Eagles fine. and Dolphins great. Yes. yes. All right, I, all right. From Ohio I, State. I, yes. You think we can get him on this show to talk I, MMA and Brandon high school <laughs> memories? I can <laughs> call. I can make a call. Okay, make a, make a call. All right, indeed. Uh, this co-main event, I don't hate either. Welterweights, Damian Maya and Gilbert Burns. Uh, I feel like Damian Maya is never gonna, never gonna w- get washed. Yeah, I agree, man. But this is the fight to make. You know, this is a true test to Gilbert Burns. And this is like a really of a passing of the torch of, of the great jujitsu practitioners in the UFC. You know, I feel as if like, you know, if, if Gilbert wins this fight, then Damien's going to give him the, you know, you are the one now I can go and, you know, <laughs> and, and retire now, you know. And I think that that's what it kind of symbolizes to uh, to Gilbert, too. You know, it, he grew up in a sport watching Damien, Damien Maya and just the proficiency that he, you know, exemplifies the jujitsu and, and, and the integrity that he keeps it is something that all true jujitsu practitioners, they look up to and they love. And to be able to face somebody like Damien Maya is uh is is an honor for Gilbert. So this fight is going to be a lot of respect, but at the same time, you can expect Gilbert to go out there and take that torch. And this undercard's like three times as good as the UFC 248 undercard from last week in terms of fights I want to see. I care about. You got Hainato Moicano coming back, but look, let's give the floor to Brandon, his favorite circus <laughs> clown, the great Johnny Walker, fresh off the humbling stoppage loss to Corey Anderson, is going in there with Al Capone himself, Nikita. Krylov, who's fresh off a split decision loss to Glover Teixeira. Uh, what do we need to see, Brandon, out of your boy to show you that he's serious about winning fights now? That he's serious about winning fights? I mean, I don't have to defend serious. my criticisms of, of his character. All right? all right. For him to be what you want him to be, he has to just walk out there, 
staring at the ground. Don't make any interactions with anybody. Just stand in his corner until the bell rings and then just go knock out Nikita as quickly as possible. That's what it would be to be your, to be what you want him to be. But Johnny doesn't act like that. Johnny is a fun dude. He has, he gets himself motivated in odd ways and he's going to just continue to be who he is because that's what you have to be at this level. You can't, you can't fake what you're supposed to be just to appease everybody else and appease the masses. He's going to be a weirdo. He's going to go in there and do some crazy ish. And it's going to be tough because Nikita is a really good wrestler here. And if he decides to take this to the ground, I'm really worried about what happens with Johnny. But I, I, with all that said, I, I do think that we're going to see a more, um, a more economic and a more tapered Johnny Walker because he's been working with the likes of, Faraz, Sahabi, and, and those guys at TriStar. And, you know, Faraz is very good at seeing the talents of a fighter and being able to uh, find a way to make their style work better for them. And I think that, you know, if, if one can do that with the likes of Johnny Walker, then he can be something truly special in his weight class. But before you're able to do that, you he has to be able to... Um, show that you know he can fight with discipline and still have the same excitement to to put on a show brandon contrary to popular belief i am cheering for him to win this fight to bring his unique finishing style to the elite level to to reload this division and see who we have here underneath the the very top uh of the pops here uh francisco trinaldo and john mcdessie a lightweight bout round out the main card but this prelim card's got fights i care about Mm-hmm. Flyweight division, I feel like, has been resuscitated by how good that fight between Davison Figueroa and Joseph Benavidez was. That's going to be a rematch per Dana White, which I think is the right move. In this fight, we got Juicy A. Formiga against Brandon Moreno. Hey, guys, Brandon Moreno bangs. This fight's going to be wild. It really is, man. And, and Moreno's one of my favorite fighters in his weight class just because, you know, he's a true testament to seeing a fighter go out there and, and wanting to go out on their shield. You know, he goes out there and he bangs with, with some crazy intent. And Formiga's another dog in there, too. You know, he, these guys are, it's, it's going to be fight of the night for sure. And, and the best part about it is it's still on the undercard. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Rashad, are you going to this card? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to be uh, here in South Florida. All right. Now, Brandon, I'll tell you the fight I'm waiting for the second most. Because women's strawweight bring it every single night out, and because Randa Marcos is the warlock, Gareth A. Davis's favorite female fighter, this Randa Marcos-Amanda Rebus fight doesn't suck. Marcos replacing PVZ, but Rebus looks like a future player. This is a tough out. We could see a brawl here. Huh? Yeah, this will, this will be a fun fight. Uh, I'm interested to see what Amanda looks like against somebody a little bit of a step up in competition against Randa Marcos, and yeah. That's all I got to say. All right. Special thanks to our interview guests, Habib, Justin Gagey, Kamaru Usman. Big things to come. This is going to be a fun-ass year covering MMA. We talked about that a lot, but you look at this calendar. You look at the prospective fights the rest of the year. Uh, get get your bags. Get your passports. Get your travel documents ready, Brandon. As soon as we beat this corona, we're hitting the road, okay? We're taking this thing international, all right? What a year. What a time to be alive. Uh, follow Rashad Evans on his social media channels and uh, at Sugar Rashad Evans. Uh, you got any appearances coming up, Rashad? Anything, any new albums you're trying to promote? You and Tyron Woodley in the studio? I haven't dropped any uh, tap into my musical talents, even though I should. I just haven't yet. I'll leave that for T. Wood. But uh, 
you know, my ne- my next gig, I'll be out there in Columbus, Ohio for uh, that card out there. But until then, I'll just be here with you guys. Could be an empty arena match for all we know. I think the state of Ohio is, no. is banning crowds it's... at all events from high school up to the pro level. Uh, at BrandonY65 on Twitter. Thank you, Mikey Mormal, for producing the show. And my name is your boy, BC, at B. Campbell CBS. Thank you for checking us out. We'll be back next week, and we'll be back with a bang. But until then, I got two words for you all.